Dirren Garhi, and you're listening to The Laughs of Your Life, the podcast where I talk to influential people about laughter, from their first memories of laughter to feeling laughed at, to the person they always laugh with. I'm going to be clear, we pissed ourselves, literally pissed ourselves. <laughs> no! Yeah, yeah, like no, you couldn't help it, everywhere, piss everywhere. No! Um, and that is a thing when you laugh a lot. Um, I don't know why your, your laughter muscle is directly attached to your <laughs> bladder. Musician and mindfulness master Brezzy is my guest this week. He talks to me about growing up in Mullingar, how he never felt he should have to choose between sport and music, and just how important a sense of calm can be in this busy world. I hope you enjoy. Brezzy, Niall Breslin. Hello. You are very welcome to the laughs of your life. Thank you very much. Thank you for agreeing to do it. I know that you're up to your eyes. I know you have your own podcast on the go at the moment. Um, we don't usually plug other podcasts because we kind of just love That's to, okay. be, to be I'll selfish. plug your podcast <laughs> on my next episode. Don't worry. Tell us about that. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a podcast series, so it's only six parts. And it's called Where's My Mind? And it's basically... I've spent the last two years of my stu- years of my life studying mm-hmm. in a certain area, quite a niche area of, of kind of mindfulness-based interventions. And I kind of, I wanted to take that and put it into a kind of digestible kind of six-week program for people because I think this is going to become the most important ally of the modern mind. I think the world's moving too fast for literally everybody. Um, we're all getting overwhelmed in some way. And I wanted to kind of create some kind of defense policy for people and that's this program and it's it's more about culture really and how our culture influences our heads and we have this thing that uh, we, we've always done like if, if you're stressed you've done something wrong there's something wrong with you but I, I actually think there's far more wrong with the external worlds that we have our culture and our environments so I wanted to really explore that and kind of say to people it's not your fault yeah um so that's that's what it was and really enjoyable creative process I have to say good hard though uh, okay that's the plug out of the way it was an alright plug. It was. It's, I'll give you a better plug. Okay, good. You Back to this podcast. Can we plug okay. it again halfway through? <laughs> we'll see. Is that how this works? No, you have to pay. Do for I have to pay for that? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Trust you. <laughs> okay. Right, Brezzy. Mm-hmm. Your first memory of laughter. Yeah, when when you said you're going to ask me that, and I was just listening back, that's a hard one because obviously you don't really remember your first laughter. You're probably laughed as I'm guessing, unless you had a really miserable first two years you would have laughed one or two times I'd say I laughed when I when I actually when I actually was delivered because I was 12 pounds and I say I was laughing at my mother and I also was probably laughing at the midwife who was trying to hold me up oh my god Um, I had teeth in a hairy chest when I came out so I was (laughs) uh, and the the guy who delivered me the first thing he said is going to be a rugby player Um, stop I was a big lad now to be fair so I'm guessing I had a good laugh at my mum for a while and she got her own back uh, in, but to be fair she said I was very easy yeah I think it was physics to be honest with you <laughs> and Newton's third law um, so anyway that that's what I'm going to imagine was my first laugh uh, I was the only baby who ever came out cr- laughing <laughs> crying but um, I, I, like when you think first laughs obviously you have to think about something you really remember yeah. um, I do remember that <clears throat> a day where do you know when you've had when the laugh starts and it can't stop yes. and you cannot stop throughout the day you can't walk <laughs> You can't get upstairs because you're laughing so hard. You can't function. You can't do anything. And it was years ago. Like we used to go on school tours when you were like, I'm from Mullingar. And I realized when I came to Dublin that when I went to college that posh Dublin school kids went skiing in the south of France. We went to McDonald's and O'Connell Street and lost <laughs> our shit. And I, I remember going up the N4 and I was in a Christian brother school. So it was quite strict. Um, they weren't the nicest people um, I would have ever met. Right. 
and we were going up to Dublin and the minute you get to Dublin you just you get bold like you just get bold and you, you start to what can I do to, to do something a bit outrageous I'm in the city now I'm out of Mullingar and I remember coming up just past Lucan and um, it was really wet so the windows were all fogged up and me and my mate uh, Owen Kelly decided to uh, start pulling down our trousers and pulling <laughs> moonies out the back of the bus um, because it's the first thing you do when you get to Dublin <laughs> is pull moonies and um I just like we, were, we we had the lads like keeping sketch for us in case one of the Christian brothers turned around and saw our big bare arses. Um, and at one stage, just nearly got caught, and the, the, one of the Christian brothers turned around and we fell into our seat and it was like, and he screamed at me and Kelly and goes, Are you pulling Moonies? And we were like, No, sir. But the lad said, You could literally see the perfect <laughs> arse cheeks, like <laughs> halos over our heads, just in the condensation in the, in the back of the window. <laughs> And a line of cars like, getting angry with us, and we were sitting there like, like with with arse halos, and um, <laughs> just arse it was just the way we were caught. But it was the thing we couldn't get out of our heads, um, and like the, the Christian brother was like, oh, did, he, "Did he do it or not?" And there was like he couldn't, he couldn't, he didn't catch us, so he couldn't do anything. But we couldn't function for the full day because we just kept <laughs> laughing. We went to McDonald's, and remember, you used to get the the, the straws, and you used to get paper in the straws and use those pea shooters we couldn't even do that because we were laughing so much we were just spitting into the straw <laughs> um, and yeah so it was just that thing that still carries us and when, when I meet him like years and years later when I meet him and we poke on through so much uh, you know in our kind of separate ways mm. we still just die we just uh, and it was I think we were like seven or eight at the time but it was <laughs> it was that where you went home and you you've torn muscles in your in your tummy you know that from laughing <laughs> yes. so much where you feel physically sick and I, I just that's the thing so now it just every time I get into Dublin City I have to pull a moon just out of that so, <laughs> even yeah. if you're driving yeah just just get the wheel there for a second I have something to do here um, yeah, so yeah so it's no I'm not that's, I'm a very safe driver um, yeah but um, yeah, yeah. No, if I'm on a bus I'm definitely going to yeah, give, you're a passenger give it a shot for all time's sake yeah, yeah. <laughs> and what was childhood like then what was school like like Brezzy that age what was he like um, I was like my mum would always say that was I was um I was very I was a worrier as a child mm. uh, which her nice way of saying I welded myself to her leg where we went every, went went anywhere but I was I was I had an unbelievable um family I'm very very lucky but my dad was never there because he was in the Irish army so he was always overseas mm-hmm. uh, Israel Lebanon Cambodia Iran all sorts of Iraq all sorts of places and um so I got used to kind of being young and being brought up with my three sisters and my mother and my father or my brother got out of Dodge as quick as he could. He went to Glasgow to university. So I was only two or th- I think th- maybe two or three when he left. So it was just me, my three sisters, and my mother most of the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was raised pretty much by my sisters and my mother and it was really good because I have a very liberal, open-minded family uh, and, and especially my mother. My dad's in the army so everyone expected my dad to be really strict but actually he was complete opposite. He was mm-hmm. like, do whatever you want, whatever you're into, try anything. You know, go for it, whether it was sport, music, anything, pulling moonies, anything, go for it. Um, and I always remember that in my family was there was never any restriction to what I wanted to do. There was never any, you have to do this, you have to go to college, you have to do all this. They do whatever you want to do. Um, and because of that, I, I honoured it. I was very much, um, I did literally everything. My mum said it was literally I threw as much shit at the wall to see what sticks <laughs> is her way of putting it. And, and that is, that's been my way from, yeah. from still is my way. I yeah. don't believe you should conform to any particular. You have to do this. If you're a musician, you can't be an athlete. Or if you're not, 
that was always thrown at me. What do you mean? You, when I was playing rugby, it was like, what do you mean you play music? It was like, why is, are they mutually exclusive? Yeah. Like, so I say that to young people, go for it, go for whatever you want. Yeah. Try anything, you know, don't be restricted. And also when I was growing up, <clears throat> going to college, the only thing anyone said to you is you gotta, you gotta go and study commerce so you can work in a bank. That didn't work out very well for people, <laughs> did it? No, you know, so no. So don't, don't, don't get caught up with, I love the way Finland works, their education system. They ask you like at 13, what do you love? Um, I love art. Okay, cool. We're going to teach you that. Is that what happens? It's just, it's just they teach you what you're good at yeah. and what you're passionate about. Okay. So I think that's really important. Okay. The first time you felt laughed at, and this usually relates to kind of teen years, but maybe it doesn't. Um, my teen years, yeah, I, I, I remember people used to laugh at me a lot and I didn't realize at the time I used to have long hair and an undercoat and uh, I decided one day to, to dye it blonde and I looked like a, like a failed wrestler. Uh, <laughs> Or somebody who auditioned for a, ha- a Hanson tribute band, maybe. <laughs> um, and I used to cycle past the girls' school. Uh, for I got, I got, for long story short, I was asked not to return to my one of my old school in third year because what? I didn't have a great relationship with the principal. He right. wouldn't let me sit my music exam because I wasn't wearing my uniform. I was like, right, you're you're an absolute plonker. <laughs> Uh, which turns out he was actually all right, but um, I went to St. <laughs> Finian's, another school, and I had to cycle past the girls' school every day, and I had this horrible racer that my dad gave me and told me he bought it for me, but it was actually just spray-painted my brother's bike and gave it to me. And Stop. I used to cycle past, and I had this really creaky wind, wind, wheel, and you'd go past the, oh, shit, I have to go past the girls' school here, and they'd be going into school, and you'd just see this failed wrestler on a bike that's fallen apart <laughs> coming past, and I knew they were laughing every time, but... That wasn't actually, that just came to me there. Were they actually laughing at you or were they giggling? No, 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 they're definitely laughing. Okay, right. I I think there's definitely a definitive difference. (laughs) Flirty giggle (laughs) and outright laughter. It it wasn't. It was literally that guy. I really, I really hope he does okay in life. Um, And the other thing I I, I remember, I do remember young, because it did affect me. I played him. I was uh, in obviously the nativity play in school, like everybody was, and I had two parts that I could get and one of them was Jesus but I didn't fit in the in the the thing that they put Jesus in whatever you call it the cot and um, um, the crib away in a cot um, and he <laughs> he basically um, <laughs> my job is to sing the streets of London I don't know if you know that song it's no. a, a really a really song that we would have learned in religion class <laughs> in, in primary school and it was like I don't even know what it was about and I was one of the three wise men and my job was to get up and sing <laughs> Sing uh, Streets of London and Sing it there n- 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 No I won't sing it Because I, I, I'll sing the other one That I actually did sing <laughs> okay, right. Which was um, I'll never forget it I walked on stage And this actually Should have put me off Playing live uh, Which it didn't But I completely blanked I couldn't think Of the words The song And my teachers Were staring at me The whole All the parents Were staring at me And I didn't know What to do I couldn't get I couldn't even begin To think of the melody of it And I was sitting there With like my incense about to give it to Jesus in his, and I, I couldn't think of the song and I just started singing Boney M. <laughs> Daddy Cool. <laughs> because, no, you yeah, because my parents played the album every single day when I was growing up and I started singing Daddy Cool and the nuns lost their shit. They were like, what is he doing? He's ruining Jesus. Like, it's, the whole thing is ruined. Christmas is ruined. And, and it was the worst. But then people laughed and they started laughing. And it was that kind of laugh, like where parents were going, like, we shouldn't laugh because it happened to our son or daughter. It yeah. wouldn't be good. Yeah. But this is too good. This is too good. And the thing was, like, I committed to it. Yeah. My dad always said, if you're going to fuck up, do it in style. So I went for it. 
<laughs> and I sang every word and they kept going. You and nailed this, it. Yeah, I, I nailed it. it. In context, it didn't quite work, but I nailed it. And like Daddy Cool and Boney M still gives me shivers. I, I have two nightmares in my life, my, my leaving cert and Boney M. <laughs> So <clears throat> I do remember people laughing at me. And then the worst part is then the class were really upset with me because I, I ruined the nativity play, mm. which was shit anyway, to be fair. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, there was no, there was, we an, there was no future for any of us, like, to be fair. Um, so I think we need to all get over it. Um, <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. Okay, Brezzy, the mm. moment when if you didn't laugh, you'd cry. Um, there's a lot of them in my life, to be honest with you. I, I'm, I'm immensely dark. I don't mean that in a, in a weird way. I mean it in the, because because of what I do and the world that I would work in and what I'm exposed to every given day with the charity and with the work that I do and, and activism and stuff, mm-hmm. you have to be dark. You can't do it. It's too hard. It's too hard not to be able to throw something a little bit. Um, and the thing is what we've created, this kind of society where everyone's outraged all the time and they're always, oh, I'm looking for something to be angry about. And it's out of context and it's it, it's not helping anybody because all it doing, it's doing two things. It's muting people, people who want to talk and want to be educated or afraid to because they're afraid to be shouted down or or somebody says something that mightn't be maybe per- perfectly politically correct. But you have to ask yourself, was there intent behind that? Mm. Or did they just, are they just conditioned to saying that? And if they were just conditioned, call it out, but call it in a nice way to say, listen, that's not really prob- probably how, we, how you should say it. It's the thing of this whole cancel culture. Yeah. Exactly. People getting cancelled. Cancel them and mute them. Yeah. And muting someone is, it's not good for them. Like, made so many repressing who they are if they want to learn learn a bit more about themselves. It's important you don't do that. And I think what we've created is this binary culture where there's just two groups of people shouting at each other and no one's listening anymore. Um, and that's not good because I think, to be fair, Ireland is one of the better countries of going right. We've had two ma- massive social movements in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. uh, which could have divided us more mm. but luckily we relatively kept together when you look at the UK and America mm. uh, so that's that's something I am quite proud of in Ireland but we have to really protect that because we ha- we've had enough division and fragmented society in this country we don't need it anymore so if you don't agree with somebody what I would always say is don't shout at them um, try and find a, play, a way of, of either convincing them are educating them and if after that they're still spouting hate then go right there are so good luck out but yeah. give you know create that anyway that's got nothing to do with what we're no I know me. that's okay but yeah I'm dark uh, <laughs> I say stuff that sometimes shocks people but I am um, this what I'm about to say isn't dark at all but uh, when you say that if you don't laugh if you don't cry you gotta laugh or whatever yeah. I do remember a very a very important moment in my life was and I'm, I won't kind of give you the, the lead up to it because mm. it's just too long but I had a huge phobia for years and this phobia was all instilled in all my own personal issues and stuff. But I had a real phobia of water. Um, I I wouldn't get into rivers, lakes, seas. I just had this horrible, even swimming pools, even baths. I used to punch the head off my mother when she put me in a bath. Like, like I mean, I was I was eighteen, but like I didn't fit in the bath. But um, I haven't fit in a bath since I was since I literally came out of the womb. <laughs> and um, our cots, for that matter, um. <laughs> Which led me to singing Tony M. Babyism. I just skipped it. I, yeah. I lost my childhood, um, and I, I was like that weird guy who had the moustache, like a whiskey moustache, and it was a bit yeah. And he used to be sent into the off license to play West Coast Coolers with the lads. And they're like, "We'll give you a free bottle of it." Um, but um, what was I thought? Oh yeah, so my phobia was war. Um, yeah. I wouldn't get into it. I hated it. I hate the idea of. I don't know why. I don't really care. But bigger than that, phobia is fish. 
I despise fish. Um, they should have died with the dinosaurs. They're 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 horrific. They're always sad. Do you ever see a happy fish? No, I mean dolphins look like they're smiling, but you don't eat dolphins. Don't really. Yeah, but I thought they're not fish. No, they're not fish. They're Sorry, mammals, yeah. So no, um, fish that don't <laughs> smile with whiskers and bitchy resting faces, and Irish fish are particularly unattractive. <laughs> they're not like the coral reef finding Nemo fish. You That's see, true, they're actually. really not pretty. And no. um, so I had a real fear of fish and water. So I I decided for after a long journey of looking after, trying to get my head together to do an open water sea swim race. <clears throat> and it was in eight weeks when I signed up for, the, for, for it. And it was just, this was part of my therapy at the time was I had to take something on that was really, really intimidated me. Mm-hmm. And I just never forget it. I got into the pool on a Monday and my swimming coach, Carol, was like, this isn't working. You're really not, like, this is pretty pathetic. Um, and I got in every day for eight weeks. I made myself get in and I found myself in High Rock Pier in Malahide about to my first open water sea swim race eight weeks later. And it was really choppy. It was really choppy. And, and the reason I knew it was really choppy is because the really good swimmers are going, it's fairly choppy, boys. Um, <laughs> yeah. Which it's kind of unsettled you know. me a little bit. <laughs> and I, I I was very quite calm. I'd learned all these these kind of mental fitness techniques for, for, and I was quite calm. I was a lot calmer than I should have been. I'd visualized the race. I was visualizing myself at home that night and all that stuff. And I just remember getting into the water and feeling, oh, God, like, this is fairly choppy. <laughs> like, I'm being thrown around a little bit. And we had to swim, like, about six, 700 metres out to sea. Mm. And we swam out. And I'll never forget this, that I turned, um, I turned to the buoy and I could see Dublin Bay. I could see literally the, the, the coastline. And I, I broke into tears laughing, like laughing, hysterically laughing, screaming at the top of my lungs, I can't fucking swim. <laughs> And there was nobody around me. Everyone was finished the race because I was so shite. I could see a ship. Probably your dad's one. <laughs> Literally. Laughing. Only up the road. Point, yeah, it was laughing at me again. Brought me back to Boney M. And I was, <laughs> I was screaming laughing. I mean, hilarity. I was going, I can't swim. And I was just bobbing in the water. But I had a wetsuit, so I wouldn't drown. Yeah. I was just bobbing in the water. And it was one of the best feelings of my entire life. Unbelievable feeling. It was just completely being at mercy to something that actually was happy to just hold you there. And it was, I was just bobbing in the water. And I knew at that point I had faced the two phobias that yeah. literally had had quite an impact on my life. And it was more than that. It wasn't just the phobias. It no. was the fact that this was this was a huge challenge to me. And I remember coming in and, and whatever, whatever long, however, however long it took me to get in, I got in. But I remember sitting in my car shaking, going, oh, fucking believable. Can't believe I just did that. And, and this, un, this barely... I can't even describe yeah. the level of pride that came up. And I hadn't really experienced that level of pride before. It was a weird one. I always believed that happiness lay in achievement. So I was always trying to achieve things all the time. And this was the first time I actually felt, wow, this feels amazing. And do you think that's the key? I've been listening to Brené Brown. Do you listen to her? Yeah, of course. I've yeah. listened to her recently mm-hmm. and, and all about vulnerability and whether it's phobias or fears or whatever, but leaning into things that you that make you want to crawl into a ball because you don't want to do them it's easy for her to say that i mean i I love i love what she says but it's 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 really important to understand that some people and not getting too heavy but some Mm. people have serious traumas that they would have dealt with in their life and yeah yeah this is very subjective you know Mm -hmm. and you have to you have to have the right people supporting you doing that when you're leaning in it's easy to just go go in and lean in there and do something that really scares the shit out of you but you need someone who can guide you and support you and be your north star when that happens and like i'm lucky that i have all that Mm -hmm. um so it it, you have to be very careful with language around this this space um i would never say that unless i knew full context of what the person was dealing with what they were going through and in that case 
if they if they were willing to kind of come up to maybe the trauma they experienced, you don't start with the trauma. You start with something the guy in work you don't really like. Can you can you think of a way of being more with that kind of uncomfortable feeling? But a good therapist or a good mindfulness coach will will find that and they'll they'll slowly bring you up to something. Um, like for me, this the the the, the phobia thing, it wasn't it wasn't a trauma. Mm-hmm. It wasn't something that had really dark memories for me. It was just something that scared me. Yeah. So it was kind of something I could do. Like you could you could have drowned, obviously, but um, these are these are the really kind of nuanced things that we have to be careful with in the moment in this amazing society where we've created amazing awareness around this conversation. But you also have to have huge responsibility around it and make sure you know what you're saying and how you're saying it. And I had to learn the hard way. I had to go back and study this mm-hmm. and make sure I know what I'm doing. But yeah, I do think. Um, facing fear um, are, are, are not running away from things that make you uncomfortable mm-hmm. whether that's sh- something bad in your life or a difficult relationship and actually you know when you break it all down it often comes down relationships have a massive a massive ability to dictate um, how you feel and establishing stronger relationships is always the first thing I, I would work on with people how do you how do you be, develop stronger relationships because those stronger relationships will allow you to lean into those things that okay. you find uncomfortable. Because um, they're your support network. They're your, they're your emotional scaffolding, yeah. you call it, yeah. Okay, Brezzy, your no laughing matter moment in life oh. thus far. I think I just said it. Yeah, <laughs> I was I like, okay, that, that would be... Um, um, I, I do remember, um, my, as I said, my dad was in, my dad was in the Irish Army, so mm. he used to bring us, he brought us overseas. Yeah, were you in Israel? He brought us to Israel, yeah. yeah. He, he, he didn't just bring us to Israel. He decided the great place for us to live would be on the border with Lebanon. Oh, stunning. Now, I don't know if you know much about your political history, <laughs> but those lads don't get on very well. Fabulous. And it actually took, they were grand for about 10 years, right? There was no messing with them. There was no messing. There was a bit of, bit of, bit of, bit of messing, I suppose, but nothing serious. The day the Breslin's land <laughs> in Tel Aviv, full throttle. They start bombing the shite out of no. each other the day we land. Yeah, I couldn't believe it. And it's, it was called the, the Six Day War, I think it was called. Uh, it's in, <laughs> and you were only in, there for six days. We, we were there. I'll never forget lying in my bedroom and my sister, Andrea, was sharing a room with her. And I woke up in the middle of the night to hear a woman to tell us to get into her bomb shelters um, because the IDF had started retaliating with Hezbollah. And, it was like, and, and at that point, I started to feel the ground vibrating from the missiles landing, which were landing just up on the border, just a few miles from us. And I started thinking, my sister's up there. She was in the kibbutz. And, um, and there's these sonic booms then for the planes that were going over our heads and the planes are breaking sound barriers. So it was like, it was like this, this earthquake. And you could hear the ground vibrating. You could hear the, the, the missiles falling. And I just, I never forget Andrea. My sister didn't wake up. Not, not <laughs> even turned. She was sound asleep. And I was shivering in my bed going, what? In the, and it's the first time in my life my dad came and dad knew we were safe like he'd been living in these countries so lo- for so long he yeah. knew that the, the, the missiles the Hezbollah couldn't reach us but I didn't know we were safe I was like what if one of those plonkers in the plane gets it wrong or something <laughs> and drops it on our apartment and, and I, was sh- I was just sh- shivering there thinking about but I, the reason I, I mean it was no laughing matter it was the first time in my life where I realised um, there's life outside Mullingar <laughs> you know what I mean <laughs> this is I used to the, the middle of the world was Mullingar and I was like and, and the real thing I realized at that point is um, when you don't, the, one of the scariest feelings when you don't feel safe, um, and I don't mean feel safe like you're, you think someone's going to break into your house. No, there's bombs landing. So I felt really, really frightened. And um, I think that was, that had a, quite an impact. I wouldn't say I had post-traumatic stress from no. it, but I definitely, um, 
it definitely fills my brain a lot when I think about it. And it probably scared you then because you actually saw firsthand what your dad had been doing. Yeah, and he was going up there. Like, he was going into the middle of it every day because he went up to the... He had to go up into Lebanon every single day. Um, and then, like, some of the places he went, like Sarajevo, and, and uh, he, he went to um, uh, Iraq and lived out in the desert. And I was like, I don't want you to go. Why are you going there? Yeah. Um, but, like, that's something that's very important to point out. The Irish Defence Forces are one of the most respected peacekeepers in the world, the United Nations. They're immensely well-respected. Really? And locals love them because we haven't been colonised. So... <laughs> Uh, honestly, that stuff really resonates, especially in countries like in the Middle East, where mm. colonization is a huge problem and mm-hmm. it, it causes an awful lot of conflict uh, and tension. There's a there's a level of re- of trust with Irish peacekeepers, um, and they're really well respected. And people often ask, what you know, what's the main job of the Irish Defence Force? They do an awful lot, but the United Nations. If you ask anybody in that space in the United Nations, they're one of the most respected peacekeepers in the world. And can I ask about your dad now? Um, about is he still a peacekeeper? No. No, is he no. still alive? Is he oh, still? Oh yeah, he is. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, he good. is. He is. <laughs> he is retired a while, a good while now. But he, he's, you know, that is. Um, it must be very hard to retire, especially from the army. Yeah. He was in the military school, and he was this, that, and other. But um, yeah, no, we've we've kind of we've very, very, very close family. Yeah. Um, very lucky to have that. Um, mother and father are very close. Um, I'm very close with them. So. You know, no matter what happens, you need you need some kind of that kind of stability. And and, and sometimes I ask to myself, well, for people who don't have that, it must mm. be really difficult for yeah. them, you know. So, yeah, I think one thing I realized throughout my whole journey of the madness of my world is that relationships are crucial. Yeah. Uh, however you develop them, however you keep them. And um, I think often when, when I look, when I'm 95 years of age and I'm signing out, um, I'd like to think that I did everything I could to make sure my relationships were strong. Mm. because I think we can very easily we can very easily break them and I think that's an important thing for people to realise you shouldn't if you have a strong relationship you need to maintain it On that the person you always laugh with mm. the person I always laugh with um, actually it's a weird one I had a mate but I have still, he still is my mate Owen Kelly and he's just he's, it's hard to describe he's, he's, he's on a different planet um, but he goes into these. He used to remember the Playbus. You wouldn't remember the Playbus. It was a t- it was a children's TV show, and he used to do, when they uh, actually the fact that you don't know it. Anyone who remembers the Playbus remember he basically used to he used to do a dance, the Playbus dance, and he would own an entire like we, we like. Unless, I'm going to be clear. We pissed ourselves. Literally pissed ourselves. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. Like nothing. You couldn't help it. Everywhere piss everywhere no um, and that is a thing when you laugh a lot um, I don't know why your your laughter muscle is directly attached <laughs> to your bladder um, but this guy it was just the manicness of him and then me and him went in these two outrageously separate lives he like he he'd for one he'd terminal but he was terminally ill at one stage he had cancer stage 4 cancer which he ended up beating oh my god and he, he I wrote about this in The Lust for Life and it's called The Power of Reconnection he went like uh, he kind of went the total opposite of me. He lost the plot a little bit, and he, he he'd say it himself. He wasn't a particularly good person. And after he got sick, I kind of said to myself, no matter what he's ever done, um, or how bad it might have ever been, I think it's really important we figure out a way of coming back together here. And also because he is the funniest man I've ever met, literally the funniest man I've ever met in my life. I cannot take him seriously. <laughs> and I kind of reached out to him and I said, you know what, like because he bet cancer the way he did and how he turns his life around he's a yoga master now he's a yoga teacher and how he turns it around I said 
any judgment I would have had on the things you've done in the past are far outweighed by the respect I have for you now. Yeah. Uh, but the other thing is I just was a bit selfish. I just wanted, because there was no one, no one else on this planet made me laugh like he did. Uh, and I just don't know what it was. It was just, it was, do you remember that sketch that Tommy Tierney did about the Kaylee? Yeah. When you kind of look out the window and all of a sudden you're, you're on fucking, you're in space. You just, you just, it just goes, that's what he's like yeah. as an individual. It's like, it's like that thing where you just, you could be with him for two hours and all of a sudden you look out, out the window and you're in fucking space. <laughs> he is that, he's, he brings you down ro- rabbit holes that you've never thought possible and says things that are, they're not even dark, they're, they're, they're black holes, they're that bad. <laughs> but they bring you and it, I, I love it. And there's no, it's just a unique personality. He says really bad things too, but it's funny. But then, you know, there's there's loads of people in my life that I have to be around that I really enjoy their company with. But mm-hmm. he is just one that I kind of really missed for a long period of my life. Uh, and we both had to work hard to figure out, listen, you know, how do we? And he used to say to me, like, well, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you know, I don't really need you. You're not that funny. But you know, <laughs> I am, you know, and he. You need me more than I need you. Yeah, absolutely. When it comes down <laughs> to the comedy stakes. But he, yeah, I, I'm lucky to know that I've since since that period where we, we, we broke up or whatever you want to call it. I, <laughs> learned, I learned bladder control. <laughs> So, good which is good I no longer piss myself that everything. helps yeah it does yeah it's it does. good for every day in life okay uh, a time when you had the last laugh Brizzy mm-hmm. and the I don't want to hear I don't really like having the last laugh I'm not that kind of person oh, no, no no fuck that yeah. <laughs> um, I do remember and this is a story when, when, I, when you said when I heard you ask the other guys this question I was like geez that's a really hard question um, and the it depends on why you la- what the last laugh was, but for me, I, I was doing years and years ago. Uh, the Blizzards were doing a gig in Slane. We we're sporting Oasis, which was the biggest day of our lives. <clears throat> and that day, we played the gig. It went grand. It was fine. Um, ACDC were supporting, or were playing Punchestown the week after, and their agent was at the gig, and he came into our dressing room and said, "Listen, um, one of the bands, one of the support bands for ACDC, it was Thin Lizzy at the time. The drummer broke his collarbone or something." have pulled out and we need a replacement act would you like to support ACDC and my first thing was like no no we're going to be eaten alive like we're the worst band you could because we were like a power pop band you're not going to put us on there like with a heap of greasy metalers <laughs> uh, like it wasn't it was just and, and all of a sudden everybody in the band's like we have to do this this is too big a thing to turn down we have to do this and I was shaking in the corner going I can't do this lad I wasn't I wasn't in a great place anyway mm. and I was like I can't do this. I can't do this. I will not be able to go on stage. I have to, I'm the one who has to talk to the crowd, yeah. all this kind of stuff. And Deck, our drummer, was like, if you don't do this, I don't think I'll be able to, like, I, I, you can't let them intimidate you like this. And I just was going, I can't do it. I just can't do it. And then it just got announced. It, like, Brezzy, four of us want to do it. Democracy, good luck, you're doing it. And then we started getting abuse, like you've never seen abused online, like stuff, dark stuff. We're going to throw piss at you. We're going to, we're going to, de- like even like kind of mild death threats. Oh it was crazy. People were going on the radio going, why, you know, why are the Blizzard supporting ACDC? You know, they're not a rock band. They're this, that and the other. And I kept going, this is the stupidest thing we've ever done. This is going to, I can't do it. And he did not sleep for a full week. Oh not God. a wink thinking about it. And this guy... I remember coming on a radio station at the time and said, just spent 20 minutes bitching about us doing this gig. And the agent said, listen, the only reason these guys can do the gig is because I saw them in a big stage. We can't just put any, big stages are really, they're different. Yeah. You know, you could be, there was many better rock bands than those in Ireland, but a lot of them wouldn't have big stage experience with crew and all that kind of stuff. So it was hard to get somebody last minute. So that's what he said. Your man kept going, no, it's bullshit. 
came to the gig and it was the week Michael Jackson died as well and it came to the gig and I was, I was physically vomiting everywhere I couldn't it was just and I, I, I never get nervous before gigs I'm fine with gigs there was 75,000 people God. <clears throat> and there was, the ACDC had and if you're a support band you don't really get sound checks or anything like that and I was like this I, I was up to the last moment I was going I can't do it I cannot do this and we walked out on stage and the guy who had spent the whole week bitching at us, we could see him, he was at the front. And, oh, and it's like an he knew what he nightmare. looked like because he had sent all these pictures and he was yeah. at the front. I was like, I walked out on stage and only a tiny, tiny cr- part of the crowd booed and it was over the corner. And Decker drummer just walked straight up to the, the mic, my mic and goes, shut the fuck up. <laughs> and that gave me such a lift. He was like, he's not intimidated by this. You know, he just stood up to it. And I just, I just got, I just got a big lift from that because I, I, I grew up with these lads. These yeah. are, I went since I was four years of age in deck, And to see that he wasn't intimidated kind of lifted me. And then I said to the lads, right lads, no gaps between songs because they can't boo us. <laughs> that was the first thing. So just we, keep plowing And on. don't play any of the hits because they're too poppy. <laughs> just play the heavy shit. And we went at it. And it was 30 minutes and we went as hard as we could. And about the second last song, your man booed again. I could hear he was giving us the fingers. And I said, I just remember just stopping and going, you see the difference between me and you is... You can tell your, I can tell my grandkids I play with ACDC and you can tell your grandkids you gave out about us playing with ACDC. Oh my God. And the whole crowd is like, Mic drop. To him. <laughs> and, and, and sing, think, like it was just, and Deck then told him to go away and wank in a sock, which was totally. <laughs> oh God. Enough. I know, no, too didn't, far. He didn't say that. He didn't say that. <laughs> but it was that moment and it wasn't like approval. It was just like, it was just, I'm very proud uh, yeah. to, to be able to do it because uh, in, intimidation, 75,000 people, but actually the 75,000 people were sound. Yeah. They were like, of course you'd do it. Who wouldn't do the gig? Yeah. Go for it. And we just pull all our attention on the small handful of people that, that did, had a problem with it. And because the vast majority didn't. And then at the very end, we played uh, Beat It, Michael Jackson, and the place lost the oh, plot. Oh, amazing. Um, so yeah, I just, I just remember that. And it wasn't like a, you're right, it was like, I've had the week of hell, dude. Um, and I'm sorry, but you were part of it yeah. and I'm, I have the microphone as well so people are going to hear me a lot more than they're going to well, hear you. Well you know what the Irish are gas as well. I'd say the uproar in the week before actually massively stood to you guys like because then when they actually saw you in the flesh there and you were up there to do your thing like the people in the crowd were probably like no, no, no like let's well, let's give it to them. At ACDC as well like they're, they're, they're a generation band so you're, you're, you get your son into them you get your yeah. you know and that's the kind of band they are and they you know we, I was a, everyone's a fan of ACDC um, and I didn't expect it to be. And the crowd were amazing. They were yeah. just so like, and I think they were amazing because they're like, this mustn't be easy for these guys. Yeah. Uh, they had seen everything. They'd, they'd seen the headlines. And yeah. I was just like, we just got it. Like, and I was just, uh, that's a prime example of being around other people, i.e. the band that lifted you yeah. at a time. And that's the difference between the solo artist and being in a band mm-hmm. when you need them they can lift you and it was just you know as I said it still stands to us that we, we did that gig should we put on the bill probably not mm. but still it's something we can say um, and did we get booed and pissed thrown at us no we didn't no, no good that's a plus okay if laughter wasn't the best medicine Brezzy what would be meditation absolutely shocker mm, shocker <laughs> there you go is this where we put the second plug in <laughs> Sponsor? What sponsor? Uh, like literally, you can, I've I've got four euro in my pocket, and take it, take it or leave it. Yeah. Brand ambassador, paid partnership with. Yeah. Yeah. So meditation. Yeah, that's it. That's it. You don't want to elaborate. Okay, that's no. okay. Unless you want me to. Um, 
It's hard. Meditation's hard. And it's, I think it's a very, very important... It's going to become more important for people. I've tried it, it and I'm, I'm terrible at it. Well, listen to the podcast. Where is my mind? It's a mindfulness podcast <laughs> and it's a six-part series that teach people how to actually meditate effectively. No, I'll just download Headspace. You haven't listened to it, have you? <laughs> Have to, I have. See, you have to pay for Headspace. You don't have to pay for my 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 thing. That's true. My thing. Uh, do you think anyone can do it? Yeah. Do you actually? I don't think it. I, I don't necessarily think it will benefit everybody. Um, I think some people might struggle with it. I don't think it's a panacea to everyone's ills and, and issues. But I think I would be pretty. I think, for example, you also just, just a bit of context to that as well. Like people with attention control issues and stuff, you have to work. You have to. It's a different. It's a different kind of. Uh, technique you would use with them you know Mm -hmm. for example some people really struggle with their breath and in that case we use things like mental imagery and visualization i mean get them to i have a friend who's who's got an issue with his breath and he he's he really struggles to focus on his breath but he loves golf so i get him to play a perfect round of golf in his head and play it out in his head and and that it's about anchoring your attention it's it's not necessarily about floating and listening to whale music it's it's about being able to anchor your attention in, in a certain point but our attention is being pulled left right and center everywhere there's a war for our attention everybody's trying to get it. It's and you worth, talk about that in podcasts, which I yeah, listen to. It's worth a lot of money to people. You know, to, it's, it's now the oil of the world. Like data and your attention is, is now the biggest commodity on planet Earth. I heard that the biggest place for jobs for psychologists these days is in phone companies or in app, app development. There's a company in America called the Dopamine Labs. And their job is just to, is to develop products that make people addicted. Now, we have to be very clear with this and the neuroscience behind it. I, I did some of my, my thesis in the area is that um, technology and phones is, are, are addictive. And I know we joke about, oh, I'm addicted. But you actually are addicted to your phone. You're getting the same neurological response you would if you take drugs, you fall in love, you eat chocolate. Um, that dopamine response that and it's and, and the thing about uh, dopamine it works more off anticipation rather than actual when the event happens so with your you know you, you know I, I, I have a mate and he's showing all the signs of withdrawals if you take his phone off him for a week or, or even for uh, sorry an hour uh, the, the withdrawal symptoms you see in people with serious addiction problems like you know like shaking anxiety sweating all this stuff he's starting to show this stuff now so do I think we should no I think Technology is what it is. I think it's really mm. important. It benefits society massively. It's benefited me massively. But there, you've got to start creating boundaries now. And you've got to try to figure out what are the hostile elements that are, that are messing you up a little bit. And what are the bits that are nourishing you. And, and everyone's different with that. Uh, some people like, are quite nourished by looking at Love Island and stuff like that. And quite enjoy it because they see it as a few minutes off or time where they don't have to use their head and they can chill out. And that's fine. Whereas other people get really down watching it because they go, oh my God, I don't look like her. Mm-hmm. I don't have what he has you know, on all these things. So everyone's different. And I remember Love Island two years ago, in ITV had ads for cosmetic surgery. You know, that's not, that's not even subtle. Mm. That's not good. So everyone's different, but it, it's up to the individual to find out what is the shit that nourishes you and what depletes you and do more of the stuff that nourishes you and less of the stuff that depletes you. And it's, it's like supply, supply and demand, it's economics. Um, but I think when somebody makes their product addictive, it's really difficult to be able to just put the phone down it's not just the phone, there's, you know, apps, there's um, the news. I mean, every headline we read is there, is generally just to get our attention. It doesn't tend to actually show you the context of what they were talking about. No. It's just to grab your attention and get your click. And, you know, that's just the way we've gone. That's the way it is. So trying to make people aware of that's the way we've gone. So it's like the Matrix. Take the red pill. <laughs> okay, quick fire round. Oh, shite. That's the only one I got nervous about. <laughs> The movie that always makes you laugh. Laugh. 
I was I thought you say cry. I was going to say the name of the father. It's not going to make me laugh at all. That that's one of the most. Uh, the f- movie that always makes me laugh yeah. is me myself and Irene. Lovely. Mm-hmm. The actor or actress that always makes you laugh. The actor that always makes me laugh is Robert Downey Jr. Really? Yeah, I just think he's deadly he at deadly. that kind of. I don't think he's the best actor in the world, but he just he just has that very sharp wit. The book that you laughed out loud at. Um, the Bible. <laughs> I just there's some funny bits in there. Some of it's really good about cots and whatnot. Yeah, there's some of it's really good, uh, but the New Testament's hilarious. Uh, the comedian that you always laugh at. Uh, absolutely, one hundred percent, Billy Connolly. Okay. Yeah, he's he's from where my mum's from. Ah, and finally, your best or worst joke, Brezzy. Um, best or worst joke? They're kind of the same thing, aren't they? Right. Really? Yeah, that's um, what I mean. Yeah. Oh, I don't know. We should do be that one. Um, oh fuck yeah! I, um, I don't. I know. I'm good at jokes. This is bad now. Come on, well able. How much time have we got? <laughs> well, I have this joke, but it's really long. Um, okay, can you give me a, t- a topic to have a joke about? No, it's whatever you can think of. Um, fuck no. This is um. No, I can't think of a joke. This is terrible. I'm sweating now. <laughs> <laughs> An anecdote. Can I? Can I? Can I Google? Uh, if you want, we can put in a shameless plug instead. You're saying my podcast is a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I worked really hard in that podcast. I would have thought someone like you would have more respect for Dern. <laughs> it's actually disgraceful. So you've no joke. Yeah, you don't need to put someone else down to make yourself feel big, Dern. <laughs> No, I don't have any jokes. Not now, anyway. That's how I get by on the show with Owen in the mornings. Yeah, well, like, he's a joke. <laughs> it's state of him. <laughs> Honestly, I did, like... I, I, I always with Owen. He's, uh, I know mean, he's not a state. He's just... <laughs> he... What's the best way to describe him? Um, now, just in case anyone's listening, Owen's a friend of mine. So yeah, I'm yeah, no, say this, this. No, this is a bit of crap. Uh, Owen is... He looks... <clears throat> do you know what he looks like? <laughs> a shuttlecock. That's the only way to describe him. Oh my he's, god! Yeah, yeah. He is a shuttlecock. He's a shuttlecock. In and every I, way, just though. Just in case anyone's going, oh, a what? It's, it's kind of Google it. It's, it's not It's not sexual, yeah. <laughs> just in case people think it's like. Um, it but could, even the way he moves is it's like no, a shuttlecock. That's what I'm saying. It's his it is, it is floaty nature. It's his. It is, um, oh my god. It is, yeah. And he kind of, I mean, I'm sure he has loads of things he, say, he says about me, but he does have that shuttlecock thing going on. Okay. But uh, Owen is also a, a very deep thinker, a very complex, layered man yeah. with a lot of incredible intellect. Yeah. Um, so that's balancing on <laughs> the shuttlecock. Brezzy, thank you so much for sharing the laughs of your life. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to The Laughs of Your Life. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's anyone you'd like to hear from, get in touch. Tweet me at Theron Garrahy. Don't forget to like, subscribe, rate, review and all those other things. This podcast is recorded in collaborative studios. Mm-hmm.